is risen. He is risen. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Why were they filled with joy? And can this news fill us with joy too? So a few months ago, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I noticed that Janice wasn't lying next to me, and I thought, hmm. So I went looking for her, and I found her in the kitchen, and she'd been crying. I said, what's wrong? And so she handed me her, her smartphone, and she was on the Find My Friends app, which she uses to track our children, and she was looking for our son John, who had recently taken a job in Texas, and she said it hadn't moved in a long time, and it had him in the middle of a, a field out in the middle of nowhere. And so she'd been crying because she was, she was sure somebody hurt him or, or, or killed him. So I, I texted him, are you okay? And he waited and waited. And then a response, yes. But I thought, what if someone has hurt him and they're using his phone and texting yes? So I called him. Hi, Dad. What's up? Are you okay? Where are you? I'm in my bed in my apartment. And everything is fine? Yes, everything is fine. So I explained and, and said goodnight. Now Janice was crying again. Now there were tears of joy. By the way, probably not a good idea to always believe the Find My Friends app. But imagine how the women at the empty tomb felt when they're told by an angel, no less, that Jesus was alive. They'd, they'd seen him die. They'd seen him tortured and crucified. They'd seen him stabbed with a spear to make sure he was dead. He'd been sealed in a tomb carved out of rock and around 60 soldiers were guarding the tomb. And all of Jesus' disciples, they'd been devastated. They'd been just brokenhearted. They'd, the person they admired most, the person they probably loved most, was gone tortured, killed. All hope was gone. They were sure it was all over. And then comes Sunday. And there's this violent earthquake. An angel rolls away the stone. Battle-hardened soldiers are quaking like leaves on the ground and they run away. And the women find the tomb empty and the angel tells them he has risen. And they're filled with joy. And they run back to the disciples who, of course, don't believe them. But Peter and John run to the tomb and it is indeed empty. That day, Jesus talks to the women. Later, he talks to Peter. Later still, he talks to a couple of disciples who are walking along a road to a place called Emmaus. He, he appears in Jerusalem behind closed doors to the disciples. Over a period of about 40 days, he appears various times and talks to the disciples. And at one point, over 500 people see him. Friends, this is, this is history. There are well-meaning people out there who will try to convince you that, oh no, this is just a myth or a legend. Scholars will tell you there were no ancient legends written like the Gospels. None of them were written while, while eyewitnesses were still alive. None of them had the extraneous details that the Gospels have. And none of them included information that contemporary people would have found repulsive. They're trying to recruit people for a new religion and they're telling things that will drive them away. When Jesus died, the disciples were afraid and disappointed and depressed. On Friday, they knew it was all over. 
and they were starting to disperse. But soon, after Sunday, we see them joyfully and courageously giving up everything and completely committing to spreading an account that both the Jews and the Greeks are obviously going to reject. That this carpenter from Nazareth was God in the flesh, that he died like a common criminal on a cross, and that he'd risen from the dead and they had seen him alive. But in spite of the account being offensive both to their religions and to their cultures, many people become convinced that it's true because God puts the Holy Spirit in the apostles and they do powerful miracles and the Holy Spirit touches people's hearts and they become convinced in spite of this being something we could never have thought of that we found offensive at that time. So, of course, the women were filled with joy when the angel told them that Jesus was alive. When you think of someone you love and you think they're hurt or dead, and you find out they're fine, it fills you with joy. Jesus' death had shattered their world and filled them with grief, and now they're overwhelmed with joy because they found out that he's risen. And that's primarily immediately because they loved Jesus. But soon their joy became even greater. Because what they realized that this meant that he actually was the Messiah and and their hopes began to revive. Now, it took a while for the disciples to realize the ramifications of the resurrection, what it all meant. But Jesus met with them over a period of about 40 days and they would talk and he explained that by voluntarily giving up his life for his enemies, his enemies could now be pardoned. That by taking the full brunt of the curse upon himself, that he was now making all things new. That he had won the war against evil. Evil had lost. And a vast multitude of God's enemies were going to become God's sons and daughters. Amazing something we would never have guessed. That he wasn't just the Messiah of the Jews, but that he was the Savior of the world, of every people group, anyone who would receive the pardon, the forgiveness that he offered to anyone who would become his follower. So although the initial joy his followers felt was primarily about this Jesus whom they loved is alive, it soon became much, much more than that. See, Jesus' followers were oppressed Jews. The Romans had been occupying their country and taxing them half to death forever after the resurrection. So, so the Jews believed very strongly that when the Messiah came, he would restore Israel. So the disciples actually asked Jesus after the resurrection, they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? But he doesn't restore the political kingdom of Israel. Instead, He sends the Holy Spirit and fills his followers with supernatural power and then he sends them out not just to the Jewish people but to the ends of the earth with this message of redemption. Instead of merely restoring Israel, Jesus gives them much, much more. Not just a life with a political nation now, but a guarantee of eternal life. The promise that he would never leave them that he would fill them with the power of the Spirit and that he would give them a remarkable opportunity. An opportunity, a privilege 
to hand in hand with him change lives, help people. Sometimes, just in this life, sometimes eternal lives. The early Christians became some of the most heroic people that have ever lived on the planet. The apostles were filled with power. They healed people. They cast out demons. They even raised the dead. They spread the gospel. And they willingly died because they knew the resurrection had taken place. But even beyond that, in the early centuries, when horrible plagues happened, people in the cities would flee. They would abandon their children and their spouses. And many of the Christians would go and nurse back to health total strangers. Often, the Christians would die giving their life to total strangers. To impress people. Although, although the Christians were generally poor, if someone destitute came to their house, they'd fast. They'd go without food to feed them. And periodically, the Roman Empire would get mad at them in different regions, and they'd be persecuted. And as people watched, they would sing as they were thrown to the lions. And they impressed people. They wondered how these poor Christians could have so much joy and courage and be so self-sacrificing and kind. Well, they had that joy. They acted that way because they were sure the resurrection had taken place and they couldn't lose. They were going to be resurrected too. Well, how can we experience that same joy? Now, sometimes probably a lot of you in this room right now, your life's going pretty well. You know, maybe it's school's going well, or your job's going well, or your family's going well, you're pretty healthy, you're doing reasonably well with your responsibilities, and yet you still have this, this feeling that you're not really experiencing the joy that you would think you would with things going that well. Now, there's a lot of possibilities for why that might be, but I want to just offer two. There's plenty more, but I want to just offer two. Often people have less joy than they think they should. Because they're not actively spending their life with Christ as their constant companion. See, one of the outcomes of the resurrection is that Jesus overcame death and he promised that he would be with you always. So if you've turned your life over to him, he is with you always. But if we don't develop the habit of talking with him, of praying to him silently, this kind of ongoing dialogue, then we miss out. We don't really experience the benefit, the joy of his companionship. You know, often when I leave work here, I will drive down along Scenic and I'll look at the ocean or a sunset. And sometimes when it's really good, I'll stop the car and I'll get out and I'll call Janice. And I'll say, you know, I, I wish you were here to see this with me. Because God created you so that any symphony, any movie, any sunset, is experienced more fully with someone you love, with a companion. That can be a person, that can be God. But if you're walking through life and it's going well, but you don't have God experiencing with you that life, then you're missing out. That may be one option for why you're not experiencing as much joy as you would think you would with things going so well. A couple of little um, suggestions. If you'd like to kind of kick this off, there is one of the, the most one of the most famous books ever written hundreds of years ago that I would recommend that you read or reread called The Practice of the Presence of God, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And you can get it very easily. Another suggestion I have, what I do is I put little notes all around to kind of remind me to pray without ceasing. Just do those things, whatever helps you. 
Now, another possibility, a second possibility, if things are going relatively well, but you're feeling, you know, I'm not that, I don't have that much joy considering how well things are going. It may be that what you've forgotten is that God wants you to make it less about you and less about your family. You see, the resurrection means that Jesus has won the war against evil, that we can confidently serve others and give ourselves away. Because even if nursing people in the plagues means you die, as many early Christians did, we know Jesus is going to resurrect us. We can't lose. We're going to get a better body. We're going to be on a pristine new earth. You see, one of the most dominant themes in the early church was that people received a lot of joy from serving and sacrificing for others. People in our culture, they actually value their time more than they value their money. So when you sacrifice and serve, it shows people that you really care. One time, Benjamin Franklin went to hear the famous preacher George Whitfield. Now, Benjamin Franklin would not have claimed that he was a classic follower of Jesus, but he wanted to hear George Whitfield because the man could preach to 20,000 people without a microphone. He had this deep, resonant voice, and it was just impressive. Uh, and you've heard a lot about him, big, great awakening in America at that time. And so Benjamin Franklin took two copper coins, two silver coins, and two gold coins with him. And he thought, yeah, I'm not going to be a schmuck. I'll, I'll, I'll give him the two copper coins. I'll give him something, you know. And uh, just wanted to kind of hear him, hear him preach. And Whitfield's sermon was so moving and so persuasive that about halfway through, Benjamin Franklin said to himself, I'm, I'm going to give him the silvers too. And by the time Whitfield ended, he said, I'm going to give it all. So Benjamin Franklin came away with one lesson. When you go to hear George Whitfield, leave your money at home. You know, today someone much more persuasive than George Whitfield is here. It's the Holy Spirit. We promise that He's here with us. And we've been praying for Him to work powerfully this morning. That you'd feel Him nudging you. You'd feel Him speaking to you. You'd know what God wants you to do as He directs you. And one of the things we would encourage you to do is start serving. That can really increase your joy. And it's just amazing how that works. It's counterintuitive. And we've got lots of bite-sized opportunities for you. Just talk to Pastor Ben. He'll help figure out what might work for you. It's amazing that you always gain more than you sacrifice. Ask anybody around you here who's serving. It's often their favorite time of the week. Jesus promises you won't give up anything that you won't get back a hundred times as much. And a big part of joy, even when things are going well, is that you're serving. It's about other people. See, God's plan was not to immediately kill off his enemies. Instead, his plan was to win over his enemies. Many millions, perhaps billions of them, and this would go on for many centuries, and he would give his followers the privilege, the honor, the fulfillment of working heroically alongside him. To love people, to serve them, to sacrifice for them, and to share with them what Jesus was doing in their lives. So those are a couple options if things are going pretty well. But maybe your life is not all that pleasant right now. How can the resurrection help you feel more joy if you just feel like wave after wave of adversity keeps hitting you? I know some of, some of you are feeling that way. It may be you have loved ones who are really struggling. It may be that you have your own health issues or a loved one with health issues. Or perhaps someone you love dearly passed away. Maybe it's your first Easter without them. 
It may be that your investments have taken a dive or just school isn't going well. How does the resurrection help us have joy in painful circumstances, in difficult circumstances? Gary Habermas is a New Testament scholar who's written about a dozen books, most of them about the resurrection. And the hardest thing that Dr. Habermas ever went through was when his wife, Debbie, was dying of cancer. And during that time, he would wrestle with God and he would ask God, why is Debbie dying of cancer? And he felt that the answer God would would give him would be, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? And since Dr. Habermas had written many books confirming the resurrection, he would imagine himself saying to God, come on, Lord, I've written seven books on that topic. Of course he was raised from the dead, but I want to know about Debbie. And Dr. Habermas felt that God would just keep saying, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? Until Gary finally understood the resurrection is the answer to suffering. Because the resurrection means Jesus has won and Gary will get Debbie back. He says, quote, losing my wife was the most painful experience I've ever had to face. But if the resurrection could get me through that, it can get me through anything, he says. Whether we're currently experiencing a lot of things going well or a lot of waves of adversity, the resurrection means that we have tremendous reasons to still have joy. It means that Jesus has won. It means that he is currently wooing and winning the hearts of millions of people. There are more people turning their lives over to Jesus in our lifetime than in any other period in history. Millions of people in Africa, millions of people in China, millions of people in India. It's an exciting time. And he gives us the privilege of serving people alongside him, of loving them, of of sharing with them what God has done in our lives. Thousands of Muslims in the Middle East are becoming followers of Jesus through dreams and visions and miracles. He did not immediately restore political Israel as his disciples expected him to because he did something much, much better. Adding millions or maybe billions of people to his family and giving his followers the privilege of doing that with him. You know, many Christians remind themselves of Jesus dying for their sins by wearing a cross around their neck, or on the wall we have one here to remind us of the amazing penalty that he paid for us, and it's a good thing, I think it's a good reminder. But I think it can also increase our joy if we have a symbol that reminds us of the resurrection. Philip was born with Down syndrome. And even so, he was in a class with the other eight-year-old, a Sunday school class. And the Sunday after Easter, the, the teacher came in with plastic eggs that are hollow on the inside. And she gave the students this instruction, these eight-year-olds. They said, go outside and find something that you think kind of can be a symbol of new life or the resurrection put it in the egg and bring it back and I'll open them up and you can tell us about your symbol. So they did that and they all came back and one found a flower, thought that was a good symbol of life and another, a 
a fresh new leaf and talked about that being a symbol. And then she opened up one, another had a butterfly, another had a fresh blade of grass. And then she opened up one and there was nothing in it. And the kids said, that's stupid. Somebody didn't get the assignment right. And then Philip spoke up and he said, that's mine. Philip, you don't ever do things right. There's nothing there. I did so do it, Philip insisted. I did do it. It's empty. The tomb is empty. From then on, the class respected Philip. But Philip died not too long afterward of an infection that many kids would have just kind of gotten through pretty easily. At the funeral, the kids from his Sunday school class walked up to the front one at a time and each placed an empty plastic egg on the communion table. I'm going to keep this symbol in my office along with the cross. I want to be reminded of the resurrection, that Jesus is one, that Jesus is always with me, that all adversity is temporary, that the same power that raised him from the dead is working in me and through me as it is in you. The tomb is empty because he has risen. He has risen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful that you have shown us your power, that you have laid down your life and taken it back up again, and that you have done all of this that we might walk with you in companionship, that we might serve others and experience tremendous fulfillment and joy in that, that we might no longer be slaves to anything, but free because of your power, because of your resurrection. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.